Well, good morning. It's such an... Uh, I didn't give you a chance to say good Good morning. There you go. It's such an honor for me to be here. I mean, I've, I've never been here before, but knowing Sam um, just made me so excited. Made it an honor automatically. Uh, Sam brings a tribe of guys. So, raise your hand if you've been to Highlander uh, up in the mountains. All right. I love it. So uh, Sam has brought a tribe of men up to our Mosaic Men's Retreat or every single year for the last three years. So I've known Sam for about four years. And when I, just being around, I mean, you know this, you're around him, but there's this just amazing mix of humility and strength and power. And that is actually, that's exactly what we experience when your tribe competes at Highlander. They're very strong competitors. I hear now there's some training going on. One of the guys told me his mile time's down. Yeah, was that Joe? Joe, was that you? Yeah, Joe, right here. He's training on the mile. So I'm not a mile runner. If you haven't known, I'm not, I'm a sprinter. I'm like a 20-yard dash kind of guy. But, you know, now that I know you're training, I'm taking that back to Mosaic, and we're going to start training too, bro. You, so you set, us, you set it up. All right, so um, I'm, a high, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an elder at Mosaic. We have an elder. We have about five elders. So my wife and I have been serving as, el, as an elder for the last three years. And I've, been, I've been on the teaching team at Mosaic for the last maybe 15 years. So I get to, when Irwin's out of town or if it's like Memorial Day and a lot less people are going to be there, you know, I get invited to come speak and... <laughs> So uh, I get, I'm in the rotation sometimes, so I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I love that role. Laura and I work with couples. We work with engaged couples and married couples and dating couples. We, we love that. That's kind of where we do ministry together. And so being, uh, you know, we're, we're just kind of all, we've been all over the place for the last 17 years at Mosaic. That's how long we've been there. So, so grateful to be here. Along with that, you know, I'm not a paid pastor at Mosaic. I've been a high school English teacher for the last 16 years in South Central Los Angeles. So, oh, I didn't expect that. Thank you. Thank you. So a lot of my content, a lot of my stories are going to be coming from that experience in South L.A. with these teenagers. Um, Teenagers are a unique bunch, right? I mean, like when I, every morning when they come in at 7.30, this is the look on their face. And I've got to work to impress them all day, right? And the look doesn't change much. But then when I've poured my life into them and they're grateful for the investment that I've, maybe I've had a conversation with them that just lit, lit them up, you know, this is the look on their face. <laughs> so it's hard to gauge what's really happening, you know, I'm, I'm just hoping things are going well. But one thing I have figured out that's made it a lot easier is teenager compliments. Okay, so teenager compliments, they're a little tricky because you, 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 don't, you don't see them coming and you're not sure if it was really a compliment when they gave it to you. But I've been able to decipher my teenagers, my, their, their compliments. So, so one time, this, um, this guy in the room, he's like, Mr. Williams, how old are you? I said, 42. Why? He goes, because you're old, but you've got some young in you. So see? You don't know if it's a compliment. <laughs> like, right, as I was focused on, you're old. And then he slipped in, but you've got some young in you. So I'm like, I guess I'm happy about that. You know, I just say, all you got, when you get, when you get one, you just got to say, Thank you. And then move on. This girl, she's like, um, after everyone exited class, she came up to my room. She goes, her name is Unique. She's a really sweet girl. She comes up to me and she goes, Mr. Williams, uh, I wouldn't say that I love you, but if you, cry, if you died, I'd cry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Unique. That's the sweetest thing anyone's ever said to me. You know? I, don't lo- I don't know if I love you, but if you died, I would cry. cry you know? Hey, I'll take it. After 16 years, any little bit of encouragement is helpful. (laughs) So what I want to share with you today is from Jeremiah chapter 1. And I'm going to talk to you from my own life and kind of 
the story that is going on in my journey right now. I know for a, a lot of you and, and for me too, sometimes we get stuck in, in what we see around us. The way we see the world, our view of the world. I'm going to try to unwrap the difference between our view of the world and our vision for the world. So if, you're, if you'll turn to Jeremiah chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 4. Because God is inviting Jeremiah to something that terrifies him. It terrifies Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah is kind of stuck in, that, in his view of the world. What he sees going on around him. And he's scared to move forward with what God is inviting him to do. Beginning with verse 4 in chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So we see this uh, dynamic occurring between uh, God and Jeremiah. At first, it's super cool. I mean, he's like really enjoying what God is saying to him. He's like really feeling the love from God. Because God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Oh, you knew me, Lord? Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you. I'm so glad you. No one knows me like you know me. Before you were born, I set you apart. Me? You set me apart? And then he says, but I, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. He's like, well, hold, hold up, hold up. You appoint, I'm not, I'm too young to speak. I do not want to go speak to these people. So it's like the record scratch, it stops. And he's like, that's an old school reference for those of you who are too young to know what records were. <laughs> Basically, um, the, the live stream is interrupted, to translate to modern terms. The live stream, <laughs> it didn't work, anyway. Okay, so he's, he's just abruptly changing his response to God's words to him. And he's like, no, I can't go. I'm not the guy for this. And God says, yes, you are. He says, don't say you're too young. I'm with you. So there, as you read through the scriptures and you, and you read about all of the great people who have done things that God has invited them to do, like Moses and Elijah and Elisha and even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was going to be crucified, you see this dynamic like, I, I, I don't know if I have what it takes to move forward. I'm not sure if I'm the right person, Lord. Are you sure you're, you're intending this for me? And, and God patiently waits and, and continues to explain to them what, uh, what invitation he's giving them and inviting them to move forward because he doesn't change how he, how he relates to us. These calls are put on us by him because he crafted us and he knows who we are. I, I get stuck at, at, in, at my work sometimes like this because I work in South L.A. with a, a small school for kids that are coming out of juvenile hall and camp. Most of them are on probation. They're gang involved. They've been kicked out of school. They're trying to catch up on credits. So they come in already thinking, why, am I, why do I have to come to this whack school, you know? Like their probation officer has told them to come, or the judge, or, or they've been kicked out, so they're forced to be there. And so they come in already, like, with this hard exterior, and this frustration, and this, not un, this unwillingness to be there. And so honestly, I, I know that God has placed me specifically there, because that's my favorite thing to do. I love to take, uh, to welcome these really angry, frustrated students and try to create a smile, try to create some type of connection. And they just can't help it. I'm just so, you know, uh, dumb that they smile eventually. Sometimes it's at me, sometimes it's with me, more times at me. 
But that's, I, I just know, but so, so that's what I'm working with. So sometimes when, I, when they come in and they're acting a certain way, and they're speaking a certain way, and they're treating me a certain way, I tend to think, you know, I get offended. I take things personally. When I'm stuck in my view of the world, when I'm stuck in my view of this teenager, I can get frustrated, impatient, and hopeless. When I'm looking at how he's acting and how, well, the kinds of decisions he's making, the stories he's telling about his weekend, I can just start to feel hopeless and think there's no way that he's going to turn his life around, that he's going to start making decisions that actually create life for him. And I get frustrated. And I talk, Laura's, my wife is here, actually. She, I want you to meet her after. Um, she, she hears it, like, all the time. Like, I, so I come home sometimes, I'm like, I can't believe I get paid to do this. And other times, I don't know if I can go back tomorrow, you know? But when I'm stuck in my view of the world, my view of my students, my view of my life in general, it can be discouraging. It can be frustrating. I, was, uh, I had a student named Daisy. Daisy was the sweetest girl. She, she would come to school every day, sort of disheveled, a little, you know, like not, not cleaned up, a little messy, but so willing to help, always asking, Mr. Williams, do you need anything? Can I do anything? Can I make copies? Can I pass the papers out? Can I take the papers up? Can I do? She just was so helpful. And she was kind of alone all the time. She didn't really hang out with people. At lunch, she would kind of sit by herself or try to be around the teachers. And so, but she's just a sweet girl. My heart was, I was always aware of where Daisy was because I wanted to make sure things were good. Well, one week, she started asking for the extra lunches and the extra breakfast. Like we have usually an exact amount. Sometimes we have a few extra breakfasts and lunches. And after school, she would ask, you know, they were in the refrigerator in the kitchen. She'd ask our office manager, is it okay if I take the extra lunches and, you know, take them home? And, you know, they're hungry. They're teenagers. They're, you know, we just think, okay, yeah, absolutely, take them. Well, it started happening every single day. And so our our concern uh, was raised a little. So we started, you know, Daisy, are you okay? Are things going good? Yes. Every time she said, yes, things are good. So one day, one of our TAs was driving home, and she actually saw Daisy walking on the sidewalk, and then she turned into this parking lot that was kind of a parking lot for an abandoned like shopping structure, shopping uh, strip mall. And she walked in, she, she just kind of paused for a second, she watched Daisy walk across the parking lot and go to this car. And as Daisy got close to this car, the doors fly open, and these three little kids run out to her. And she takes her backpack with the extra lunches in it, and she... Hands them out to her, her son, her, her uh, little brother, brothers and sisters. And of course, we have to report that, right? Um, we have to make sure she's okay. And sometimes reporting is an awkward thing because she doesn't. She wants to keep her brothers and sisters together. And sometimes when you get the system involved, they get separated. So there's this resistance, and you know she just wouldn't want us to report that, but we did. And so when you see things like that, you might think, you know, what what are we doing here? What are we accomplishing? Her, her mom, her dad was never in the picture, but her mom had just been arrested on drug charges and she was in prison. And so she didn't have any support system, no family. So she just went, you know, took, took it into her own hands and, and, and worked with her, 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 her little uh, siblings. So my view of the world can be tainted when you see things like that. Like, why are these things happening in the world? But then when I look at the courage that this young girl lived her life with, you start to become inspired and you realize that people like Daisy and her little brothers and sisters are going to be fine. Because Daisy took matters into her own hands, took responsibility for, as a mother for her little brothers and sisters. And if we had more... And yeah, it's an unfortunate situation, unfortunate circumstances. But with courage like that, with that kind of will, then when I start to think about that, my vision 
for the world starts to shift. And I think, I want to now live like Daisy lives. Yeah, the circumstances, you know, we'll all find ourselves in certain circumstances, but how do we rise to the occasion? So when we get stuck in our view for the world, we lose sight of the vision of the world that God has for us and what can be. I'm reminded of another student, my first graduate when I started in 1997, Carlos Rodriguez. He went to... um, came to our school, and I never could figure out why. He was on probation, but he was just a solid, solid student. He was like, he would come early every day in uniform. We have a uniform. He would just like do all of his work perfectly, straight A, sharp student. You know, and I, you know, we'd have conversations every now and then. Just a really respectful guy, his mom and dad, completely involved at every parent conference, came to the school open house, all this stuff. And so I, I didn't, I never really knew. Finally, Carlos finished school. He graduated. And he came up a couple days after he finished his last contract. I can't explain everything about how our school works, but he finished in the middle of the year, so he didn't have to come anymore. But he came back up to the school to visit to find his transcripts, to get his transcripts. And as he came to the office, I saw him like, what's up, Carlos? It's great to see you, man. He's like, good to see you too. And, I, and he got his stuff together, and I walked him out to the, to, a, to the parking lot. And we walk out there, and I'm like, man, you graduated. Congratulations. I'm so proud of you, man. I know that you've worked hard, and you've put, you know, you, you've put the work in to get where you are. And he's like, thanks, Mr. Williams, I appreciate it. And then he goes quiet. And I look over, and he's like, he's getting emotional. He's like, it's, he can't talk because he's like caught up in emotion. I'm like, so we sit down on this bench out in the parking lot. And I put my arm on, like, I put my hand on his back. I'm like, okay, Carlos, what's, what's going on? And he takes a minute to regain his composure. And he said, I just never thought this day would come. I can't believe I finished high school. Because Carlos had a, a great kid, great family. One day, a friend came up to his, his yard and said, Carlos, come on, my uncle let me borrow his car. Let's go, let's go for a ride. Carlos was like, cool, let's go. <laughs> you know, and they get pulled over. It wasn't his uncle's car. His friend gets out and takes off when the police pull him over. It was a G, he, got, he got arrested for GTA. He got put in camp for nine months. I mean, this guy was an honor roll student. You know, he, he just got in the car, wrong, wrong decision at the wrong time. And he went to camp for, for nine months, got put on probation. But he, he rose to the occasion. He, a lot of our kids just sometimes for, for a period of time just go deeper and deeper into their own junk. And they make worse and worse decisions. But Carlos, in the midst of that crisis, began to rise above it. I'm reminded of a student named Christian. What a great name for this guy. Christian came in. He was from a gang called Hangout Boys in, in South L.A. And he came his first day with us, he was on probation, come out of camp. He's got these, the baggiest clothes you can imagine. Like He probably wears like a 26 waist. And he came in in 52 waist, pant- dickies, right? With his, with his belt cinched up and his big, like, 5X t-shirt, shaved head, like, shiny shaved. And he had a belt buckle that had his, like, you can buy these belt buckles at the swap meet that say the, the, your gang letter. So he had three belt buckles on his belt, H-O-B, right there, because he wanted everyone to know. And he had the same look on his face all the time. Like, hey, Christian, how you doing? Good. Good. You know, so everybody was scared of him, right? All the, all the staff, all the students, they didn't know what to expect with Christian. So, um, so our office manager called his probation officer and said, hey, Christian came in all, like, in gang attire today. Like, completely baggy. She described it. So the PO said, don't tell him I'm coming. I'm going to come up and talk to him. And he had a conversation with Christian. Christian, you've got to come in dress code. You know, grow your hair out. Don't bring this buckle back. He got in his face. So Christian just kind of, you know, nodded, listened. Came back the next day, same dickies, same t-shirt, same belt buckle. But this time, he had H-O-B on all three, on his six fingers. He had new tattoo uh, in, in honor of his conversation with his probation officer. 
So he came back even like more ganged out than he did before. And so Christian, I'm like, I'm like, Christian, look, you, what, what are you doing? You're going to get back, you're going to book back in camp. All right. Okay. Okay. You know, he nothing, no, uh, no connection. So anyway, office manager says, I'm going to call his PO again. So the PO says, I'm coming back on Friday. And if he's, if he's dressed like this, I'm, I'm taking him, I'm taking him, I'm arresting him right there on the spot. And so, uh, he, he said, don't tell Christian. She told me this. I'm, I'm, I'm telling Christian. You know? So I thought it would help, you know, Christian, on Friday, your PO's coming at 9 a.m. <laughs> just go get some skinny jeans, you know, <laughs> you know? Just, just for that day, because the PO's never come up to the school. Just for that day, come dress normal. He's like, all right. He comes back to school on Friday. I think he had 56 pants on now. With a big, you know, PO comes, he gets arrested. I couldn't believe it. He gets arrested, goes to camp. He's in camp for six months as a, a violation. So he, um, in camp, he starts to go to the, like they have church. I remember in church he would go and listen, and he really started to, like, connect with what the message was. He actually gave his life to Jesus in camp at one of the church services. And uh, I was, he came back telling me this. I was, I was amazed. At lunch, we're talking. This other kid, Angel, was right here next to us. He's, he's from another gang in L.A. And Angel, uh, he, Christian's saying, you know, I gave my life to Jesus. He's telling his whole story with all the kids sitting around. And Angel goes, Oh, Jesus, oh, everybody loves that fool in jail, he said. <laughs> Angel, Angel wasn't quite there yet, you know. And, uh, and then he goes, but then they get out and they forget about that fool, you know. But Christian did not forget. Christian changed his life. He came to school, you know, dressed in our dress code with a fade instead of the shiny bald head, you know. And he started doing his work. But, you know, you don't, you don't get out. I mean, you're, you're st- he still lived in the same house. He still lived in the same neighborhood. Sees the same guys every day. But he started boxing at this street, this uh, cl- this boxing gym uh, in L.A. And he started boxing, and that took his focus. And the, his homies kind of respected that he was boxing now. His actual name was Boxer. That's what they called him, you know, on the, on the street. So he evidently was a good fighter before he even, you know, started boxing. But he got into the gym and started getting focused. He started fighting Golden Gloves. So a few months later, another little boy from HOB comes out, comes to the school, a younger kid. And he comes in, and you can see immediately the respect and all he has for Christian, for Boxer in his mind. And he's like, oh, what's up? You know, and he's like ready to impress, do whatever he needed to do to impress Christian. And so I pulled Christian aside. I said, Christian, do you need me to, you want to transfer to another school? Because we have a network of schools in our, in our system. I said, is this going to put too much pressure on you to feel like you've got to, you know, be about the neighborhood again? And he said, no, I got this, I got this. And I was really impressed by his confidence, but I was still concerned because that pressure is strong, and he's going back to that same environment every day. Well, about three weeks later, I checked in with him. I see him every day, but I checked in with him again, and I started noticing the new student, Fabian. He started changing a little bit. You know, I'm like, he came in ready to fight everybody, and now he's like kind of chill and doing his work in class. And I see his little fade growing out. You know, he had a bald head coming in, his hair starting to grow out. I'm like, what's going on with Christian? I mean, with Fabian, what are you, what, how's he doing? He's like, he's good. I got him boxing with me at the gym. So I don't, I'm usually not this emotional. I'm an emotional guy, but I don't like break down every five minutes. So, so I haven't told these stories in a, in a while. So bear with me. Men uh, uh, at Highlander, I'll show you more of my, you know, toughness. Uh, but your view of the world might lead you to believe that there's no hope. But, as God, but, but God has made us purveyors of hope for the world. That means we carry hope with us whatever room we're in. And the reason I know that we're purveyors of hope is because we had enough hope to believe 
that God could change us from who we were before we knew him or what we would be if we didn't have him in our lives. That alone is proof that you are a carrier of hope. No matter how hopeless a situation looks, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, or wherever in the, in the world it is, you, it might be hard to find sometimes because you're stuck in that view of the world. But if you can find a way to, be, to connect again with God's vision for the world, the, God, the vision he's placed in your heart and soul for the world, then you can again shift back into it in, this, in that moment that you're a carrier of hope, you're, you're a purveyor of hope in the world. So I shared those stories with you to, to just kind of illustrate how easy it is to get stuck, to get caught back into that view of the world. Um, God asked Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1, he says, what do you see? Later on in the chapter, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see a branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north, I answered. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdom, declares the Lord. So God is asking Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah is telling him, because he doesn't understand what he sees, but God then begins to unwrap what he is seeing. You see this, this is what I'm doing. It's like a blind man who was healed by Jesus. And he, 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 in his first, his first uh, response, he, Jesus says, what do you see? And he says, I see, I see t- trees walking around. And then Jesus clarifies for him what he's seeing. That's what God does. You might make the mistake of thinking that you were at your job to get money to support yourself. You might think you're in your home to be a mother, a provider only, and a a father, and a husband, and a wife. You, You might think you are just there for those reasons. But there's more that God is inviting us into. Tell him what you see and let him unwrap for you why you are in the moment you are in. Jesus, a God, actually called um, Moses to lead his people out of Israel, right? And he says, he, he has five conversations with God about why he's not the guy for it. Finally, he says, can you just ask someone else, Lord? I'm not the man. It's because he was looking at who God made him. But one thing you will learn from Jeremiah chapter 1 and from this situation with Moses and lots of other people in the scriptures, God refuses to relate to us based on how we define ourselves. Thank goodness, right? He refuses to relate to us based on how we define ourselves. And he continues to invite us into understanding who we really are, crafted to be by him. Sometimes it's overwhelming for us to see. And the way I see these callings of God in our life, I'm a husband to Lara. That's a calling on my life. I am just uniquely crafted to be the husband Lara needs. I'm a father to Jacob. It's a calling. It's an invitation. Like the burning bush where God asks Moses to lead the people out of Israel. That whole moment. These are my burning bush moments. I'm a teacher in South Central Los Angeles because I'm uniquely crafted to connect with teenagers in that context. Uniquely connect with staff members at my school. I am uniquely crafted because God has made me and, and shaped me to be to, to, to uh, follow through on the callings he's placed on my life, the crises that I go through, the struggles, the trials, all those things are invitations from God for me to walk into a new future and understand a new part of who I am. He already knows who I am, but he's just letting me know, and I'm only going to find it out if I'm willing to take the next step. He's always inviting me forward. 
but he'll, he'll wait patiently. God is very respectful. You know, he's very clear. There is no ambiguity. But he's not going to force me to do anything. He's not going to force me to believe anything about myself. That's my choice. But he's continually inviting me into the future. That's what he's doing with Jeremiah here, and I believe that's what he's doing with every single one of us in this room today. Do not be afraid. See, there is a nobility in being afraid of the future and still moving forward in courage. That's, that's courage, I guess. You know, having fear, being afraid but still doing what's necessary. Doing what you need to do to get to that next place. To do what you know in your heart is right to do. There is a nobility in that. But I want you to hear what God says to Jeremiah here. Because it's not as feel good. <laughs> he says to Jeremiah in verse 17 of chapter 1, Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Those are pretty strong words. Like I think God for the most part respects that we move forward in courage when we're afraid of whatever might be happening in life. But in, in certain moments in our lives, and we all know what these moments are, only we know, there are times that God is saying, do not be afraid. You do not have permission to be afraid. Do we not know who is with us? The problem is that some of us relate to God as though he's some kind of security blanket to make us feel good in every circumstance life brings us. But that's not who God is. He is the, the, the army behind us. I think we sang a song about this today. He is the army behind us, the, the, the strong and, and the big brother who is right there, the big brother in the good way, not the big brother, you know, like the government and stuff. The big brother that it will come to our rescue that will come to our rescue in times of need. The, the war, our warrior, the scriptures say, our God will fight for us. That's what he's talking about in this passage. He's saying, do not be terrified of them or I will terrify you before them. There are certain invitations God's give, God gives us that we don't move forward, though we're in fear, but move forward in courage. We don't have permission to be afraid. You, you just have to decide, I'm not afraid, and you move forward. I don't know what it is in your life that you need to move forward on that God is inviting you into, but you know if it's one of those moments where you do not have permission to be afraid. And in those moments, move. Just go with fearlessness. That's the invitation God is placing on Jeremiah and he's giving to us. Do not be afraid. You're not going through life with a security blanket. It was never intended to be that way. But for a lot of us as followers of Jesus, we've made it into that. We've made God this refuge where we retreat to to get away from the bad things in the world. That's not what the scriptures teach and that's not what he's sharing with Jeremiah here. And all these things, all the things that we're faced with in life are God's invitations, his callings on our life. And there are times that we have no permission to be afraid. Talking about view of the world and vision of the world, um, my son has taught me this. My son is 13 now, but... About uh, maybe when he was six, seven years ago, my wife and I and he, he are taking a walk through Old Town Pasadena. And we're walking, it's, it's crowded, it's like a Friday night, and people are just like eating in restaurants and shopping, and there's just, every corner is crowded. And so we're holding, I'm holding his hand, Laura's holding his other hand, and we're walking down the sidewalk. And we come to this corner. And let me, let me back up a little bit. See, there was this, I was, Laura and I were at a movie, and there was this advertisement to create a commercial. And I got my idea immediately. The commercial was based on the MasterCard uh, commercials. Do you remember the priceless commercials? Like uh, a bag of popcorn, $3, a soda, $4, 
Uh, those are probably much lower than they actually are. And then, uh, and then it says, like, seeing a baseball game in every major league park, priceless. Yeah, th- those, those are very inspiring commercials. A complete lie, because it's so, ex- be so expensive to see a like, major league baseball game in every, the flights. Anyway, I won't get into that. It, was, it was, felt good. They're good, good commercials. So this was a contest, and I, it was supposed to write. So my idea for the commercial came to me immediately, and it's based on this story I'm about to tell you. So Jake and Laura and I are walking down the, the, I'm holding his hand, she's holding his hand, get to this corner. We're about to, we're waiting for the crosswalk sign to come up. <clears throat> it comes up, we start walking. And then I hear Jacob ask Laura, Mommy, Mommy, what's wrong with that man? And he's kind of looking behind him, you know, and, and Laura looks back, I look back. And there's a homeless man sitting on the corner with a cup, and he's just, just sitting there on the corner. And <clears throat> Laura said, oh, he's homeless. Uh, he's asking people for help. And then he, like, he thinks for a second, he goes, Mommy, please, can we help him? Can we help the man? Please, can we help him? You know? And, uh, and she, I don't know why she said this, but she goes, I don't know, ask Dad. <laughs> Call the pressure, you know? So we get to the corner, and I, uh, he goes, Daddy, please, can we help? And I said, Son, no, we don't have time for this. We need to get to the car. I'm just kidding. I would never say that. <laughs> Some of you were concerned, right? Yeah. No. I said, absolutely, let's go help him, you know? Lara remembers the story a little differently. Maybe she didn't. I don't know. You can ask her the story after. Anyway, so we go back. Basically, the basic ones. Are the, basically, the story I'm telling you is true. Uh, no, 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 it's all, it's all true. I think when I tell it, I'm the hero. When she tells it, she's the hero. So, you know how it is. You married couples out there. Okay, so, so we turn around. We go. We wait for the crosswalk sign to come up again, and we start walking across the street again. And we go back to the man. And it's, it's Jacob is like the same height. Him sitting down and Jacob standing up. They're at the same eye level. And so he goes up, and Jacob goes up to him, and he just freezes. He's just, like, staring at him, like, you know. And the man's, like, he's so kind. He's just, like, you can tell. I think he had, um, he wasn't, you, I know he wasn't drunk. He had some type of physical disability, and he spoke really slowly. So kind. Kindness just, you know, just came out from his eyes and his smile, and he was just talking to Jacob. Hey, what's your name? And Jacob's, like, silent. Didn't even say his name. I said, his name is Jacob. And he goes, hey, Jacob, and he took his hand, and Jacob was just so amazed. So we say, hey, can we help you with anything? Do you need anything? He's like, you know, I, I'm, uh, I said, are you hungry? That's what I asked. Are you hungry? Yes. You know, so we went down to the burger shop. We got him something to eat. And while we're there, Jacob, you know, comes alive again. Can I be the one to give him the food? Can I be the one? You know, I said, sure. So we get there, and we get the food back, and we got him a burger combo, you know. And we get back there, and he, um, and, and we get there, and Jacob has it, and he's just like, you know, the man's sitting there, like, not knowing what to do. And I took the stud. Here, Jake, here you go. We want to give you this. You know, enjoy your food. You know, thank you so much. Thank you. It was so kind. Jacob was so, like, you know, I couldn't stop talking about it the whole way home. So on the so this corner that we were on was on the way from school to home. Laura would pick Jacob from school every day, and she would, they would pass by this corner, and every day he would look at the corner for this guy. And he was never there. He's, he was never there. So one day, though, he was there. And he just went crazy. Laura's like, he's there, he's there, mommy, can we go talk to him? Please, can we go help him? Please, please, you know. So they, they did. In Old Town, you, it's hard to find parking. you got to pay, you know. And so she went ahead and parked in a parking garage and walked all the way to the corner, and thankfully he was still there. And Jacob, you know, we know he's like, he, she knew he was going to be no help, so she just went up to him and said, um, she said, uh, hi, we met you the other day. You know, we were wondering, is there anything else you need that we can help you with? He's like, well, I could use some new socks, you know, and uh, maybe a sleeping bag or a blanket. And so... Um, you know, he's, he's, they finish the conversation and they're walking back. Mommy, please, can we help him? Can we get him socks and a, and a blanket, you know? And uh, she, she says, well, let's wait for Daddy to get home. We'll see what's up. Putting all the pressure on me, you know, all the time. 
And so we get home, and for, she, he doesn't even say hi. He doesn't even, like, acknowledge that I'm there. He's like, Daddy, please, can we buy some socks and a blanket? I'm like, what? Oh, socks? And he didn't even tell me the context, you know. The, the socks, and, of course, you need socks, son? I'll get you socks, you know. The man was there, and he needs help. He needs the socks and a blanket. And so Laura explained to me what's going on. I said, yeah, absolutely, let's go do it. So, so we went to pick it up, and we went down there to give it to him. Got him another burger combo, because, you know, we want to keep him well fed. And we got there, and this is, where, this is where the priceless commercial comes in, right? It's a um, burger combo, like five bucks, socks, a pack of 10 socks, $9.99, um, a sleeping bag, $19.99, and then watching my son start to leave his mark on the world, priceless, right? I, I, I completely misunderstood the rules of the competition, so I, I didn't even get to submit that. <laughs> That's not the point, though. Uh, yeah, so, but what, hap- what I realized in that moment is that that night, everyone was just walking by, just in, kind of caught up in their own lives, you know, going shopping, going to eat, just having fun with each other. And the guy was at a level that no one else would naturally look down to see. You know, you're not looking at that level. But my son's level was perfect, right, right on the eye level. He's the only one, to my knowledge, that even saw the man. Maybe other people saw him, I don't know. But from our perspective, with me and Laura, he was the only one of the three of us that even saw the man. He has absolutely no resources, no way of helping this man. But when he began to speak up about what he saw, he got us on board. We were the ones with the resources to create a solution, right? He led us to make the world a better place. So no matter how big your vision for the world is, no matter how impossible you may feel it is to accomplish, just begin to tell people about it. Just begin to speak about it about it to God and see what kind of resources he brings. Our views of the world limit us. We cannot be stuck for too long. If you're discouraged, frustrated, angry, irritated, impatient, you probably are stuck in that view of your world. The finances are tight. I can't find a job. My wife won't listen to me. My husband won't spend time with me. My kids don't listen to me. I can't function with these co-workers any longer, whatever it is, you have an opportunity to shift and begin to ask God what his vision for the world is. And then just make a commitment without fear to start moving toward creating that vision in the world. You may be the only person God gives the vision to. And so if you don't move on it, no one will. I used to have this thinking that God will accomplish his plans in the world no matter what. So if I don't follow through on what he's calling me to, he'll use someone else to do what he invited me to do. But I'm not convinced that that's true anymore. That may go undone. See, we have, we have our life experiences, our talents, our strengths, our trouble, our struggle, our pain, our losses, our victories have all shaped who we are. And they all create a vision for how we see the world. And so you see the world in such a unique way that no one else on the planet may see it. No one who's ever walked the earth before you and no one who will walk the the earth after you may see what you see needs to be done and what needs to be created in the world. So do not be terrified. Begin to walk forward and create that vision. So the whole thing today, we are purveyors of hope. We are carriers of hope. What we see is not the full story. What we see with our physical eyes is not the full story. Jesus and Paul and other teachers of the uh, other writers of the scripture, or people in the scriptures, 
are constantly pulling us to see and, and, and trying to and begging us to see the unseen spiritual world that is eternal. The things that we see with our view of the world are temporary. But God is continually inviting us to look at what is unseen, to see the eyes with faith, to see the world with faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is, unse- for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The choice is ours. Will we walk the rest of our days seeing only what our eyes can see? Or will we begin to create the vision that God wants to give us for the world? Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, so much for this day. We're so grateful to be able to be together and to worship together and to uh, talk about you together. And I pray, God, that today that our hearts are completely open to you and that we're willing to take steps Uh, toward your vision for the world that you've placed in us and that we would push aside fear and we would begin to look at the world and all of our circumstances as callings on our life that you're inviting us to bring hope to. We love you and thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.